Thank you, Jeannie. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Randy. I am not the older version of Dave. Uh, it's a real honor to be in Dave's pulpit and to try to do honor to the work that he does in your life and just honor him. He's one of my heroes. Just uh, love that guy to death. And I know behind the scenes how much he prays for you and how much he fights for you and how much he uh, agonizes over his sermons. So to give him a break, I'm preaching for him today. And I'm not sure I agonized over my sermon enough, so y'all need to agonize a little bit with me this morning. So maybe my sermon's agonizing for you, and we'll agonize together. <laughs> I don't know if you're laughing or not. Those masks are horrible. I'm just imagining somebody in the Creefall community is at home right now in their pajamas, like eating Captain Crunch, going, who is this guy? Like... I just hope that's happening. So let me try to bring you up to speed to what we did last week. I think Dave touched on this, but I, I need to say a few things about how I preached last week's text to help you understand where we're going today. Because last week, um, Paul introduced to the Thessalonians this idea of grief. And what he said is that grief has the capacity to open the door of hope. And when that door gets open, hope has the capacity to open the door to courage. And courage always opens the door to us living courageous lives. That grief is this, it's this emotion, it's a soup of emotions that we experience when we've lost something or someone that we deeply love and that we've been called to be a community of love. And if you're going to love, you're going to grieve. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And if you're not willing to let grief come into your life, then that process of letting grief open the door to hope and hope open the door to courage and courage open the door to a courageous life may get stuck for you way back here. And that hope that we talked about last week isn't an empty hope. It's actually a hope that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, it's going to be a party. Like he's not coming to renew all things. He's coming to make all things new. And this is going to be like a new party. And so this week, Paul takes this idea of Jesus coming back and he starts to build on it. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have a house Bible on your table and you don't have a Bible, I think it's page 574. Can somebody look that up and confirm that number for me? Give me a shout out, 574 shout. Maybe it's 575. It's in that range. So... Uh, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to talk about three things, okay? Just three things today. The first is, when is the wrong question? The second thing is, you live in a world that doesn't believe this, so prepare yourself. And the third thing we're going to talk about is, it, we need to get dressed for that party now, okay? You ready? I guess y'all are. Like, just shout out. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is... Uh, verse 5, or start in verse 1. It says, uh, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Underline that. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So the first thing that we see Paul saying about the returning of the Lord is, I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. And why is he doing that? Because the Thessalonians were asking him, hey, this big party of Jesus coming and making all things new, when's it going to happen? 
And I mean, that seems like a fair question. Like, doesn't that seem like a fair question to you? Would you like to know when Jesus is coming back? I mean, of course. I mean, like if I told you, I know when he's coming back. And uh, guess what? It's soon. And I gave you a date, like it, he's going to be here next month on Easter. Would it change anything about the way you live your life between now and then? Like, what would you do? Would you go run up your credit card? Woohoo! Like, you know, buy all the boats and stuff on credit. Would you take that, you know, killer vacation that you can't afford? Like, what would you do? Would you, like, quit your job? Would you eat ice cream every night? You know, who cares about the he's coming back 20, you know, the bulge? <laughs> or, I mean, would you run around and tell people? Would you be like a crazy person that runs around town, you know, and going into a coffee shop saying he's coming back, he's coming back? What would you, what would you do? <clears throat> well, whatever you would do, pause, because if you're asking the when, it's the wrong question. And it's not just Paul who makes that point. Jesus makes that point multiple times. So if you have a pen and paper, you can write this down or run to it. In, in Mark chapter 32, this is verse 32, or Mark 13, 32, Jesus says, but about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then in Acts 1, 7, Jesus says again, after he had returned, and he's looking at the disciples, it's not for you to know the time or date the Father has set by his, his own authority. You're not going to know. And then he says it again in Matthew chapter 24, and this is verse 43. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come, but understand this. And then he goes on to talk about this owner of a house. He goes on a trip, and he leaves all these servants in charge. And he tells his servants, you need to live as those that are waiting, but you don't know the hour that the master is going to return. So why does he do that? Well, growing up in the South, I was told why he did that uh, by a good old Southern Baptist preacher years and years ago when I was in high school, and he said, because God wants you to be afraid of his return. And then he went on to say, uh, he said, I want you to imagine that you decide to go to an R-rated movie, which back then in the South, if you were a Christian, you did not go to R-rated movies. And he said, imagine that you're in that R-rated movie and Jesus comes back. Would you not be embarrassed? Would you not be ashamed? Imagine, just imagine that you were sitting at a bar with friends and you were sipping a beer the moment Jesus came back. Would you not be ashamed? <laughs> I started getting terrified of the return of Jesus, you know? And then I started thinking, what are other situations in my life that I would never want to have actually happen that Jesus said, I'm here, like stepping out of the shower. That would be embarrassing. What, who's the character on Arrested Development that's the never nude? Do you know who I'm talking about? He, Tobias? All right. Would you become a never nude? Like, if, if Jesus coming back was a terrifying event. No. That, we know that's not why Jesus isn't telling us. Scripture teaches us that if we're in Christ, God is working all things together for your good. Everything he's doing for you is for your good. So just write this down. You don't know because it's good for you not to know. It's good for you not to know. He doesn't want you to know because he cares about you. Because when we ask when, let me tell you what comes with when. What comes with when is hang on. And we are not made to be a hang on community. 
Like, have you ever taken a trip with small children? You're driving down the highway, you're like eight hours, and you, you, you know the kids have been asking for eight hours. When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we gonna... And what they're saying is we're tired of being in the car, and we want this trip to be over. We want to get to our destination. And as parents, we know that's just normal. Kids are going to do that. When, 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 when. It's when your spouse turns over you and whispers, when are we going to get there? Then you know you're in trouble. Because now the forces that have prevented evil from coming into your car are beginning to crack. And when, they, when your spouse says, when are we getting there? They're saying, how much longer do I have to hang on? And they've lost touch with the reality that this car ride, what's happening in this car is important. Keeping our sanity at this moment is important. When I start asking the question, when, and I start moving into the place of hanging on, then I start moving into survival mode. And church, we are not the survivors. We're not to live and hang on. Get this, if you're in Christ today, do you know that you have power? We had time today, we could go all through the night. You have power in Christ. Do you know that if you're in Christ today, that you have riches? You have riches of the kingdom of God. Do you know that if you're in Christ today, that you have the Holy Spirit? And you know who the Holy Spirit is? He's the Holy Spirit. Like he's the third member of the Trinity that dwells in you. Do you know the scripture even says Christ lives in you? Do you know that when Christ moves into your life, he brings these treasure chests. He plops them down. He says, this is the treasure chest of faith. This is the treasure chest of hope. This is the treasure chest of love. And he looks at us and goes, open them up. Come on, open them up. And when you open them up and you begin to explore the depth of them and the riches of them, we're not the hang-on community. Are you kidding me? We are the community that fully lives. We're fully alive. So what makes us a hang-on community? And I, I just want to challenge something in you. You know, there's something about everybody in this room that makes you a hang-on person. And, and what I mean by that, there are things in your life that you think are so impossible to overcome. There are things in your life that you have you've, you looked at and you said, that's too much. And, and that too much has caused you to step back and go, I don't know if I can climb that mountain. Like, there are people in this room and probably that person in their pajamas at home, you've just finished your Captain Crunch and you're going back to a second bowl. Some of you deal with addictions, and you look at your addiction and you go, I, it's too much, and you've made peace with it. You're not getting it out of your life. You're actually learning to live with it. Some of you have really hard relationships. Your marriage is worse than anybody in this room thinks it is. And you, you may not even feel like you even like your spouse, much less love them. And you've, you've just accepted that. You've learned to live with that. You're just hanging on. Some of you have deal with and this is a biggie, because I have friends that deal with this, depression. <clears throat> and depression has defined their lives, and they're just hanging on. Some of you are in so much debt, you don't think you're ever going to get out of debt, and debt is crushing you. Some of you struggle with fear and anxiety. Some of you struggle with loneliness. Some of you have, uh, have to pick up the rock, if you're, if you're courageous enough to do it, to actually forgive somebody. And some of you have been sinned against in serious ways. 
And I'm telling you, forgiving somebody that has hurt you deeply, that, <clears throat> that is a hard mountain to climb. Some of you don't know your calling and you feel kind of lost. Do you know that some of you are just bored out of your mind? And you're just, you're boredom? I mean, even sitting here this morning, this is just like, like it just, everything just kind of bores you. You just feel like you're, you're the night of the living dead just walking through your life, you know, one day after another. And here's the challenge that I want to give you as we think about this passage of when. What if that obstacle, name it, inside your head, what is the thing that you're like, man, I just don't know. What if that, instead of the thing to avoid or to eradicate, what if that is the doorway? What if that is the gateway into the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory? What if that, that very thing that you want out of your life that you don't even want to look at, you don't want to talk about, you don't want to touch it, what if that one thing is actually the thing that is the gateway into you stopping from hanging on to going, I'm living on. So I read an article this week, and I just want you to know that I could care less what you weigh. You know, it's a funny thing to talk about weight in a church um, for a lot of reasons, but I could care less, so don't misinterpret this illustration, but I read this article of this woman who lost 100 pounds. I mean, she was just as lovable to the Lord when she had 100 pounds to where she, after she lost it. But she talked, she was a single mom, single mom, but her kids were little. Like, everything was against her. She was poor. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of time. And yet, over a year, she lost 100 pounds. I think it was a year. Maybe it's a little longer. And she said something at the end of this article that's not going to surprise you. It didn't surprise me, but it surprises me how little I believe it. She goes, the journey of losing the weight, the journey of losing the weight changed my life more than the weight that I lost. Does that surprise you? No, like it probably doesn't, does it? What if the journey of you encountering those impossible things with the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory, may change your life more than eradicating the very thing that you want out of your life? See, you're never going to understand the power of faith until you need it. You're never going to understand the power of love until you need it. You're never going to understand what the TNT of hope is in Scripture and in your life until you need hope. Okay. So when is the wrong question? Let's don't ask when. But remember, when you start to live in this reality, you live in a world that doesn't believe that. Go back to the passage. Um, this is starting in verse 4 now. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So we live in a world that is basically saying that they don't believe in this Jesus. They believe that the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales, that your experience with this resurrected Lord is a fantasy, and that he's not coming back. And if you don't get that, it gets very confusing for you to go, I'm, I'm going to move to 
When is he coming back to, I'm going to live now. And I'm going to live in the power of what he's done in my life now. It's going to be very difficult for you to do that because it's not what people talk about at work. It's not what people talk about in the coffee shops or the restaurants or in the neighborhoods. It's, it's odd that you walk up to your neighbor and you go, what are you doing? I'm just meditating on when Christ is going to return and how I'm going to live in the power of Christ in my life right now. <clears throat> so I have a bucket list. And in this bucket list, I, this is going to sound so odd, okay? I, I would love to go to, I want to go to Bonnaroo, okay? And I, and I don't want to stand, you know, in mobs for hours and watch music because I just don't get it. I'd, I'd like to be in the RV, you know, sleeping and having my own restaurant, you know, in there. And so, but, but there's one thing about Bonnaroo I'd love to do, which is it's the silent disco. I would love to go to the Bonnaroo. Have you seen this? So the silent disco at Bonnaroo is where you walk in, they hand, they hand you a headset, and the headset is dialed to the music that they're about to play. And so everybody in the disco is got a headset on listening to music, and they're all dancing. But if you walk in, you hear nothing, and you just see a bunch of people just going, you know, doing their groove. I don't know. They just love that. <laughs> That's what it's like to live in this world and, and be a believer. Because the music that the world is listening to, we have stopped listening to that music. That's not our love affair anymore. It's not our love affair. We have tuned our hearts and our ears to a different tune. And when we see everybody around us dancing to a different tune, it makes it very difficult to, for us to live in the reality of what we're talking about today. Very difficult. And if you don't understand that, then it's easy to slip in to start listening back to the tune of this world. And Jesus is calling us to listen to a different tune. And when we do, we dance in a different way. I shared this story a number of years ago. I was at the Exxon station over on 8th Avenue. And I had uh, stopped to get gas and ran to grab some things. And so I'm heading over to the men's room. And I opened the door because it wasn't locked. And there was a guy standing in front of the mirror. And he was just going for it, you know. And uh, but he was like an older guy. He was like 75. And I'm like, whoa, okay. He lost his mind. And shut the door and just kind of, you know, politely just waited out, you know, near the oil. And, uh, and he's, I'm just waiting. And he comes out and he's got a little shuffle to his step. And he walks by and he goes, hey, man. And I'm like, hey, man. And it, what's going through my mind is that poor man, that poor, poor man. I'm sure at one point in his life, he, uh, he knew who he was, and he was conscious of reality. And so I go, to, I go into the bathroom, and, and as soon as I went into the bathroom, I got it. Because right over the mirror was a speaker. And what was playing over that speaker, if you don't know Earth, Wind, and Fire, you need to do a deep dive this afternoon because it will make your life happy. And they were playing uh, this wonderful song from my youth, and guess what I started doing? I started dancing. I made sure the door was locked before I started dancing. And so what Jesus is saying to us is the world dances to a different tune. You, we have to attune our ear to the tune that he's calling us to dance to. And then finally, and we're almost done, is we don't wait for Jesus to come back to get ready for the party. We get dressed now. Look at verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us wake up. Hey, church, 
It's time to wake up. It's time to be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we belong to him, let us be sober, putting on, and look at this, putting on. Paul's about to challenge you to get dressed. Putting on what? Faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as your helmet. So if you're familiar with Paul, you know that in Ephesians chapter 6 is the armor of the Lord, and Paul is kind of, you know, giving a nod back to that, even though he's got him in a different order now. And I think Paul is trying to say that the order isn't what's important. What's important is what are you putting on um, as you get dressed for the party. And it's significant that he says that these three things are the things that we need to wear as the Christian church. He says, the power of faith isn't in the amount of faith. Because think about this for a minute. Faith, hope, and love. That the power of faith is not in the amount of faith that I have, because Jesus even said that a faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. Faith, the power of faith, is what the object of my faith is in. So... If, if I'm mountain climbing and I'm hanging off the side of a cliff and I have every faith in the world that the rope that, that I'm hanging from, that rope is going to hold me, but that rope is rotting and has rotted and is worthless, all my faith in that rope means nothing. I could have all the faith in the world in that rope, but that rope is going to break. As comparison to when I have a little bit of faith in something that's strong, it secures me. So... About two years ago, I was in Uganda to visit my daughter, and uh, I'd flown into southern Uganda, which is Kampala, but she lived in northern Uganda, which is a very remote, it's real close to the border of Sudan, and the only way to get up there is either to drive in these, like, taking your life into your own hands, vans, uh, for eight hours, or you can take a plane that will take you up there, and I, I go to this dirt airstrip, um, and there's this little bitty plane with, you know, two props and uh, the guy greeting me looked like he was about 14 years old and he was the pilot and he goes, man, this is a great day for flying and I'm looking at this plane going, I I probably need to send a picture of me to my family because this could be the last (laughs) moment on earth. This is, and I had a lot of doubts about this plane. I had more doubts about the pilot. I'd never met him before. He didn't look like he could have a driver's license here in Nashville much less a pilot's license that's going to take me through an entire country. And we get in, and um, it was crazy because, um, well, I won't tell you the whole story. I got in, I had that much faith to get in that plane. I had just enough faith to get my body in that plane, put on my seatbelt, and stay seated. And I'm telling you right now, the engine of that plane wasn't affected by my little faith. The props in this plane had nothing to do with my faith. That my faith had no power to diminish or add to the skills of the pilot. It had no effect on the weather. It had no effect on the landing gear. It had no effect on anything. All my faith did was got me in the plane. And it was just enough faith to get me in the plane, and the power of the plane did the rest. And those of us that are of faith, even if your faith is that much, if it gets you into the plane of Christ... At least you're in the plane of Christ. If it gets you in a place to where the Lord is working in your life and you trust him enough to go, okay, okay, here it is. All I have is enough faith to get in your lap. 
Faith is a gift from the Lord. And that gift, when it's exercised, even when it's exercised with weakness into something strong, that faith is great. Are you with me? But there's no difference with love. Love, Scripture teaches us we love because we are loved. In fact, if you have a hard time loving people, it's because you have a hard time being loved. Your, your reservoir of love is going low if you have a hard time loving people in your life. Because in 1 John, it says, we love because we are loved. Meaning the love of God gets poured out into our lives, and then it gets poured into the world that we live in. So I'm receiving, just like with faith, I'm receiving first, and then I'm giving. But isn't it true about hope, too? Hope is what? The power of hope is what you put your hope in. And I'm going to tell you that there is no... There's no greater step. In fact, it's the first step of faith, hope, and love. Uh, that if we don't take this first step, I don't care how many steps after that, you're going to stumble over them. And the first step of faith, hope, and love is always me having faith to believe who God says I am. The very first thing in all of Scripture that God wants you to know is who you are. He's declaring you over you. And if I stumble over that, then everything after that is not going to be successful. It's not going to be in line with what faith, hope, and love is. So let me try to explain. This is a passage that I've spent a lot of time the last three weeks just kind of kicking it around. I've spoke about it a couple of times at some other Midtown gatherings. But in Judges chapter 6, there's this bizarre story of uh, this guy named Gideon. Maybe you've never heard of him, but Gideon lived in Israel, and at that time, there were armies that had moved into Israel and were just causing a lot of pain. Man, they were just ransacking everything. They were taking everything that everybody had, and, and whatever they grew, they would come in and take it. Like What was happening was that they would, have, uh, they would plant, and then they would work on their, their uh, fields, and they would, all their animals would start be having little baby animals. Like, you know, it's, it's harvest season. And just when they're getting ready to enjoy the fruits of their labor, these armies would come in timed perfectly to take all the harvest, to take all the newborn calves, all the new goats, all the new sheep. It was demoralizing. Like, it was a mountain that Gideon felt like this is impossible for us to climb. It's impossible. This is too big for me. And yet God was saying, no, this is the gateway for you to begin to understand that you can get dressed for the party now. So when we come to chapter 6, Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat because he's afraid of the enemy. He's afraid if I thresh wheat on the threshing floor, the enemy's going to see that. They're going to come take all my wheat. I'm going to starve to death during the winter. So he's hiding out in a wine press, looking over his shoulder, you know, beating this wheat, trying to get enough wheat so he can make bread with. And that's when the angel of the Lord appeared. So this is Judges chapter 6. He appears to Gideon and he says, Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's hiding from the enemy. He's afraid they're going to take everything that he has. He's not wearing a sword. The only weapon he has is what they use to beat wheat with so they can thresh it and then turn it into, you know, food. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And listen to what Gideon said. 
pardon me? Let me translate that for you. Seriously? Let me translate that for you. Are you kidding me? Let me translate that for you. Bro, you are out of your mind. Pardon me. And listen to what he did because Gideon, I respect him for this, outspews all this anger he'd been holding up. If the Lord is with us, come on, man. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where is all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But then, now the Lord's abandoned us and has given us into the hands of the Midians. You see what's going on is that the Lord is coming down and saying to Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon is saying, there is no way that's true. And then the Lord said to him, or the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. I'm sending you. In other words, all the great and glorious works that you want to see the Lord do, I'm about to show you. But the way I'm going to show them is through you. It was an impossible situation. And then Gideon, if you know the story, began to test God. He put out a fleece and said, hey, if it's really you, Make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And next morning, the fleece was wet, the ground was dry, and he goes, eh, okay, maybe that was a trick. Maybe that was just something that happened. So let's reverse it this time. One more try. And he goes, if you can make the ground dry and the fleece, or no, the ground wet and the fleece dry, like then God did all those things. And Gideon finally began to slowly began to believe, I am who you say that I am. And he said, okay, I, I will go. And this is where the story gets really interesting because when he goes with his thousands upon thousands upon thousands of armies of these soldiers, he looks at his friends and he says, I think we've got a chance. I think we can do this. I think, I think maybe we can do this. And the angel of the Lord came to him again, Gideon, mighty warrior. Right, 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 dude, I've heard all that. Hey, Gideon, you got too many people. What? You got too many men. I'm not sharing my glory with anybody. I'm not, I'm not sharing my glory. You need to send somebody, some of them home. He goes, well, how do you suppose that I do that? He goes, I want you to stand up in front of everybody. I want you to say, if anybody here is afraid, go home. So he stood up and said, hey, any of y'all afraid? Go home. 22,000 left. So, okay, that's a hit, you know. I, I know I'm not sure that we, uh, we have the numbers now, but we're going to still press on. Mighty warrior, mighty warrior, mighty warrior, faith, hope, love. We can do this. The obstacles are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the Lord came to him again and says, hey, you still got too many. Oh, what are we going to do now? Well, when, I want you to take them down to the river, and only those who drink water from their hand can they stay. Do you remember how many stayed? 300. 300 and the Lord said now we're ready because the Lord was saying to Gideon you don't understand the power of faith hope and love you don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you you don't understand the power of Christ in you the hope of glory and God kept pushing Gideon to the impossible so that he would begin to understand that in God all things are possible church that's who we are that's what he's doing in your life you realize that. 
that you playing it small, you stepping back and going, that's not me, that, that does nobody any favors, including you. The Holy Spirit is looking at you going, mighty warrior, mighty warrior, and is calling you to come out and live your life. And if you're like me, you're looking at Gideon and going, okay, I'll do it. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. Go back to the text because here's the sign. Here's your sign. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. What's our sign? That your Savior went to the cross for you. That he took all your sins upon him. That's our sign. That he came and died for you so that this life that he's calling you to live, you can actually live it because Christ is living it through us. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's not I who, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the one who loves me and gave himself for me. That's what we're called to do. So what does that look like? Let me close with this. So uh, for years, I've been fascinated with uh, this woman. Her name is Elizabeth Fry. Um, maybe you've never heard of her before. Uh, if you're a historian, maybe you know her because she was born like in 1780. And uh, she was born into, have you ever heard of Barclay Bank? Like she was born into that family, like a very wealthy family. And she got married when she was 19. Yay! Um, and then uh, she started to have babies. And I'm not talking about just one or two. She had 11 kids. And at 32, she's sitting in her house, in her very wealthy house, with 11 kids running around. And she wrote this, I fear my life is slipping away to little purpose. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get it. So she went to church one day like you're doing right now. And all 11 of her kids are in kid town. And she's looking at her husband and she goes, I don't care how much money we have. This may be, but this may be a bit too much. And this, uh, this Quaker preacher gets up and preaches a sermon very similar to what you're hearing right now. And it's, hey, church, stop asking when. Start thinking now. Stop looking at the world and believe that you've been given faith, hope, and love. Dress for the party. Let's party. Well, I don't think the Quaker said let's party. But it was similar. And she said to the Lord, okay, I'm ready. And a friend came to her after that service and said, hey, um, some of us are going to the women's prison outside of town, and we'd like for you to go with us. Now, I have to help you understand that the women's prison at the time was nothing like what you experience now. Back in the, this was now the early 1800s, uh, if a woman was arrested, she was thrown into a prison, and she was responsible for feeding herself. She was responsible for dressing herself. They didn't provide her a bed. Uh, they didn't provide her anything. Uh, her family and her friends had to bring all this to her, and she was thrown into general population with men and women and all her children. So if a woman was thrown into prison, all her kids went to prison with her. Because who's going to take care of her kids? So this, this women's prison was full of just this big chaos of 
women and children and people scrambling for just survival. And uh, she turned to the, uh, to the warden and she goes, I want in. And he says, hey, you've got to be careful because it's a dog-eat-dog uh, world out there. They're all scrambling and fighting each other just to survive. I'm not sure it's safe for you to go in there. She goes in there. She comes back and she says, leave me, I'm staying the night. Oh, no. Just think about it. It is better to spend a night in a wild women's prison than go home to 11 children. No, that's not true. Children are wonderful. They're a gift from the Lord. Let me see what happened. She came out the next morning, and she began to uh, work with everything within her to start bringing food and clothes and beds. She started schools and the prisons. She started the Association for the Improvement of Female Prisons in Newgate. Um, She was the first woman to eventually speak at Parliament. She dedicated her life to to developing schools for the poor, to starting nursing homes and nursing schools so she could send nurses into these uh, prisons and into these homes. She started homeless shelters. She became a librarian and started libraries and even started to fight against slavery and racial reconciliation. One woman with 11 kids who heard, I am... I am his child. I am. And he has given me his Holy Spirit. He has made me alive. And I have faith. I have a treasure chest of faith. And the Lord is saying, use it. And I have love because he has loved me. And he's saying, use it. And I have hope. And if you don't know the power of hope, it's because you've never been in a hopeless situation. And if you want to see one, uh, follow me to prison. But you got it. Use it. One woman took those seriously. And here was her prayer. Oh, Lord, may I be directed to do. I'm going to butcher this. Oh, Lord, may I be directed what to do and what to leave undone. Here was a woman who grasped who she was as she looked at a world and she goes, I'm not enough. There's too much. It's not that she stepped back and said, I can't do it. She could. She says, I can't do it all. So, Lord, just show me what you're guiding me to do. Okay. I don't know how the Lord wants to use that in your life. I know that he wants to use uh, this in your life. I know the Lord is working in your life. I know that he is fighting to dare you to believe the power of him in you. So just encourage you, Midtown, when is the wrong question? You live in a world that is like the silent disco at Bonnaroo. Uh, we don't listen to their love music anymore. We have a new tune we dance to. So don't be distracted by that. And hey, let's get dressed for the party now. And the final thing I would say to you that if, if you're interested in it, the kingdom of God has come. You know where it is? In you. It's the already and the not yet. The the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God are overlapping right now. And Jesus is coming back and he will make all things new. And his kingdom, the old will pass away and the new will come. But those of us that know Jesus, his kingdom now lives in us. And we are ambassadors to that kingdom, to this world, until he returns. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your kindness, for your love. We thank you, Father, that... um, 
that in all that you've done and giving us the riches of your kingdom, Lord, you do because you love us. Now I pray that you let us celebrate who we are, celebrate the, the fact that we belong to you and that our pockets are not empty and that we live in a world that, uh, Lord, is waiting for the church to rise up, to wake up, to sober up to who we are. In Christ's name we pray, amen.